I was kind of pleasantly surprised with some of the connections and um, with because I'm going to be talking about a piece of architecture not about um, print media and um, but these connections in terms of continuity and change I think will come through hopefully um, so to give you some to start with some background um, obviously for those who aren't familiar Nepal is um, situated here but nestled between um, India and China and the Republic Memorial that I'll be talking about is based in the capital city Kathmandu. I'll leave this slide up for a little while and move between the move between the two. This is I'll leave it there. So the competition organized in two thousand nine to design the Republic Memorial or the Ganatantra Smarak in Nepal um, coincides with the moment that the last Hindu kingdom in the world became a republic. It's due to be inaugurated in May 2015 on Republic Day and I was saying to Wendy just now it seems certain that the memorial is going to be completed before the country actually has a new constitution in place and um, so there's an interesting paradox to explore. Since emerging in 2006 from a 10-year Maoist insurgency known as the People's War that left over 12,000 people dead and 100,000 displaced, those are UN figures, um, Nepal has struggled with a difficult transition from war to peace, autocracy to democracy, and from an exclusionary and centralised state to a more inclusive and federal one. So tourist brochures that you might be familiar with emphasise unity between different castes and groups, and peace and harmony have perhaps become a cliché with which you might be familiar when thinking about the country. Few... Um, beyond South Asia are aware of the details that for the past six decades Nepal has been caught up in an internal struggle for peace, development and justice. This struggle has involved failed attempts in democratisation in the 1950s and the 1990s, interspersed with 30 years of um, kind of monarchical dictatorship which, um, which were followed then by this Maoist insurgency, an imploding monarchy in 2001, which we'll come back to, and then since 2008, tentative and as yet inconclusive efforts to craft a constitutional solution to the country's political, social, economic and other woes. So it's in this context that the site for the Republic Memorial was designed, and, um, and I intend for this paper to reveal the process by which the politicians and designers have embarked on an effort to construct the memorial as a public representation of this past that I've just kind of given you a very quick overview of. Um, so I'm focusing on the social dynamic of those reflecting on the past from a position in the present to interrogate this act of public commemoration through which Nepal's recent past is being recast. Can I explain? arrows, not buttons, that seems to work. Um, I might skip a bit more of a detailed history, but just ask me questions later. Um, so this is the design, and this is the winning design um, by two young architects who work for a, a company called John Sandy Associates, who are based in Kathmandu. Um, and what you're looking at is four um, stambas, sort of four pillars there, and each are dedicated to a different group of people. So a group of people who were disappeared, a group of people who lost their lives, a group of people who were disabled. 
these stamba are linked by this kind of oval ring that you're seeing and um, and the idea was that this ring would have lights coming down that would shine on the map so you're probably beginning to think kind of how do you even draw a map in this kind of state of political confusion um, modern nations um, as Benedict Anderson um, demonstrates um, are imagined communities and in order to be imagined of course they must be represented and the more precarious or contrived a national community being imagined the greater need for and the burden of representation. Um, such imaginary representations are always called on to perform this kind of impossible task of eradicating any sense of the nation as a construct while presenting it as something eternal. And um, so Anderson talks about the way that nations in particular are able to transform fatality into continuity and he talks about the um, construction of cenotaphs and tombs of unknown soldiers. Um, for fairly obvious reasons of cremation, there is no plan to inter any remains at this site. Um, the intention to build the Gonatantras Marek was to celebrate the victory of the New Republic and to memorialise the anonymous heroes of the country, thus signifying unity through the emblem of sacrifice and enabling the nation to be both new and historical. Um, when speaking to the architect, um, I've met him several times over a period of a couple of years throughout this process, um, he continually emphasises that the reason he thinks that they won the competition for this design is their particular emphasis on the individual through these four stamba that I just began to explain. What you can't really see from this slide is the huge scale of the design. Um, so we'll go on to have a look at um, some more detailed images. Now, for Nepal's politicians to render the nation timeless is a particularly challenging task at this time of great transformation, so the monarchy has collapsed, exposing the ideological fiction that was the Nepali Hindu kingdom. Um, the nation of Nepal was formulated in, um, kind of from 1768, so from the late 18th century, and one particular king, and King Prithi Narinshah, um, moved from a hilltop town called Gore <coughs> and gradually began to conquer other small kingdoms. And this then continued until you get to the kind of geographical area that we're familiar with today. The institution of the monarchy um, drew its support, its ideological support, from a sense of nationalism throughout this period. Um, by a triumvirate of official Nepali national culture. So this triumvirate was made from a single religion, Hinduism, a single language, Nepali, and a single dress. And, um, and the monarchy then from 1768 to 2008, that's 239 years, if I've added that up right. Um, so it's as if the very multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-religious, multicultural fabric of the country of Nepal didn't matter in the eyes of the monarchical state. Um, the high caste Hindu elite discriminated against other ethnic, caste and religious groups, culturally, economically, and they excluded them from formal politics. Ultimately, this has been argued to have led to the monarchy's downfall. Obviously, dissent already always existed, and the Maoists were able to capitalize on this dissent, on this reality, this multi-ethnic reality, throughout the People's War, and there was a high rate of participation of ethnic and caste groups. 
by 2008, so the period of time that this um, memorial is commissioned, the Maoists are the main game changers in Nepal. And, um, and their electoral platform conveyed their sense, historic sense of mission with the objective of creating a new history and bringing to end the dark era of feudalism and monarchism. So their primary objective for this memorial was to declare the transition from a monarchy to a republic. And um, so here you have the architects in the bottom. It's interesting just to see how young they are. Um, they still look just as young. And um, they were probably practicing for no more than five years before the date of the commission. Um, this is the first National Architectural Commission since the end of the monarchy and um, happened almost immediately and the guidelines accompanying it were formulated against this backdrop of Maoist rhetoric. Um, we can come back to this and um, but these images of the model begin to give you an idea of how the image that you saw before of the four stamper linked by the um, metal ring relate to kind of a much larger site. And um, so um, I'll explain where the site is later on. And, um, but you have auditoriums, you have gallery spaces, um, you have huge parking lots, and um, it can, kind of just gives you an idea of the scale. And here's some more detail of the concept of this winning design. Now, in the competition, the guidelines said um, for the designers to reflect Nepal's geographical beauty, its national unity, equity, progress, diversified language and culture. Also, various courageous political movements in different time frames, people's movements and martyrs' contributions. And if that wasn't difficult enough, the People's Republic system that didn't exist yet. Um, this list reflects clear continuities between the way that the Maoist leaders wanted to create national identity and the monarchy before them. Um, so, for example, despite the mention of diversified um, language and culture, the nation is still described above um, as a unified entity. And despite the existence of deep inequality, the designers are asked to consider equity as one of the values that makes the nation of Nepal. Geographical beauty um, is also a very common trope used by the monarchy as a way of emphasising national unity in a supposedly neutral way, um, in particularly in opposition to both India and China. Um, so as we've been talking about, by overthrowing a political regime, and, um, you're not necessarily changing the social structures in place. However, this list does reflect a key shift in the national imaginary with a rise of individualism. So whereas under the monarchical system, the body of the Hindu king was understood to be synonymous to the territory of the kingdom, here it's the lives and deaths of ordinary people and their sacrifice that are appropriated to support the nation. Political leaders were shaping the state's relationship with the war dead through commemoration. Note the mention here of martyrs' contributions. The dead are presented as the courageous, the heroes who made the supreme sacrifice. And there is nothing in this list that you've seen to raise any questions about the appropriateness of this sacrifice, its necessity or the conditions under which it occurred. There's just an attempt to make the unpalatable past acceptable. The brief continues and, um, with this long list of what should go in the design, 
Um, and when speaking to the architect about the process from 2009 to today, the amount of amendments that the government have been making, can you just kind of cut the auditorium or actually we're, we kind of don't think we want a gallery anymore, can you just turn it into a car park instead? And in fact the car park's now a gallery again and nobody can quite tell me what's going to go on display in this absolutely vast space. It's just a huge concrete bunker at the moment, you'll see. And um, so programmatically, we, um, it's, yeah, it's very confused. You can see a mention of a ticket house, and um, so remind me to come back to that. And this is the site. And um, so it sits behind the walls of the palace, and then um, the ex-royal palace, and um, in the northeast corner of the palace grounds. Um, I won't talk about this too much to keep to time, and, um, but Kim Dovey makes a really interesting argument about the silent complicity of architecture and about um, the things that should not be said. And um, so the physical tearing up and reconstruction of this prominent site in the centre of the city contrasts with its relegation to kind of an unquestioned frame of events. And there's very little um, published, very little published about this in the Nepali print media. And um, to the extent that after the competition was complete, the Society of Nepalese Architects ran a seminar in April 2009 to get a group of designers together to have a discussion about the competition because it was felt that this discussion kind of wasn't being had in an open forum. And um, so you can imagine, I'm quite excited to go back next year, hopefully it'll be complete and, um, and be able to find out how people are talking about it. Um, this is the Narinhiti Palace. Um, the um, site was originally designed to be directly in front of this building and that's what makes it part of my research. I'm examining the um, relationship between political transformation and the changing meaning of the space of this palace. And um, so the palace was built in the 1960s un when the monarchy was in full autocratic control. Um, and then at the moment that this transition happens in 2008, they declare it a public museum and those kind of questions about decisions about what to show have formed the basis of the majority of my field work. Um, many of you might be familiar with the site because in 2001 the Crown Prince um, shot his mother and father, the King and Queen, and many, many members of the royal family. And, um, and this event had a transformational effect on the logic of the nation, kind of revealing the construct of the Hindu monarchy. Um, so it's a symbol of the reversal of power, and um, here you have it going up like a rocket in the centre. Um, and my key argument with some of that work is that once was what was once revealed by the closed nature of the palace, so the moment that the massacre happened, the kind of intrigues and conspiracy and what the hell went on in there kind of questions, reveal that actually the monarchy's been kind of very tightly controlling things, despite the fact we thought we were in a democracy. Now these decisions are concealed by its openness. And um, so just to give you kind of an idea of scale, the site we've been talking about is that block of kind of black buildings up there. That's the Royal Palace. And this is the full site. So the building you were just looking at is this one here. And the memorial is being constructed in the northeast corner here. The walls still exist all around the compound. This area is run by the museum, that's the passports office. The army has a big chunk over here, and the Queen Mother actually still lives in a building down there. Um, now, 
So you can begin to get an idea of the reason that they chose this site, but things changed quickly, and in fact the site was changed four times between 2009 and 2012. And um, so initially, um, when the Maoists were in control, it was going to be right in front of the palace, as you saw in the, um, in the CAD drawing just before. And then, um, after the Maoist government resigned, um, later in 2009, the next government decided to move it to Ratna Park, a public space. And I would argue that this um, was too difficult for them to manage, this kind of very official take on the past and the present in a public space, possibilities for opening up huge numbers of debates. Then it moved to a site out towards the airport and, um, and there was some kind of land ownership issue and then back to the palace again, again when the Maoists took control and the foundation stone was laid at each time. So I'd love to go and dig these stones up and <laughs> find them somewhere. Um, so there's a kind of very practical narrative that you could follow there that I won't go into detail now, but there's also um, a kind of very complicated political narrative and um, that reveals this situation is anything but clear and the way that this memorial is the source of considerable debate and confusion in terms of its location, in terms of its design, or even whether a memorial is the right thing. This is what it looks like at the moment, or hopefully a little bit less muddy now the monsoon's ending. And um, so you get an idea of the scale. And this is the Maoist Prime Minister, Babaran Bhatta, was Prime Minister in 2012, laying the latest foundation stone. I thought you might want to see some of the other entrants to the competition, so I'll just show you briefly, then I'll end here. Um, so you get an idea that, um, that people are using... All of these designs are accepting this fictitious notion of a national identity forged during the struggle for freedom, um, but they're all adopting slightly different approaches. Um, and they're all... Um, perhaps this is the only plausible identity of one people brought together by a common history and rising towards a common destiny. Each design is responding to the shift of power from monarchy to the people, so you can see this by the kind of scale and height of some of the designs that are proposed there. Remember these were originally designed to sit in front of the main palace building. And I guess you could argue that official culture relies on dogmatic formalism and the restatement of reality and ideal rather than any kind of complex or ambiguous terms. And the bottom one there by Sarosh Pradhan is completely in contrast to the winning design. So it's like a, it's still very representational, so it takes the representation of the landscape of the country, but he is acknowledging the fact that it's the visitors to the site who will create their own meaning. And um, so he has this um, plan that people will kind of, they will walk through these gardens. It's all still centered on the flag, but, um, but they will walk through these gardens and they will make their own decisions about what the future of Nepal should be. Um, and this is a poem that he shared with me that all of the designers were invited to visit the Palace Museum as kind of part of their preparation for putting their designs forward. And this was a poem that he wrote at that time. So I think I'll leave you there and leave with questions rather than confusions. Thanks. Well, thank you for the presentations. I think I, I uh, definitely, definitely learned a lot and also